This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. Break it down. It's the king. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. Mamacita. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 89, and today we're looking at the themes of Batista. And to help me do that is a returning guest here on the show. He is a contributor for Voices of Wrestling. It is Sean Cedor. Hello, Sean. Hi, Andrew. How you, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Just uh, living the uh, pandemic life the best I can. Just trying to, uh, you know, working from home uh, and uh, passing the time. Any way I can, so it's, it's going, it's going good, as good as it can be right now in the world we live in. So, yeah, I feel yeah for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, with you, you know, there's some sense of normalcy because NASCAR is still going on, and I know that because you tweet about it like nonstop whenever it's on. So oh, yeah. you know, it's a good way to see that the world hasn't totally gone to shit just yet. You know, the, I see those nine thousand NASCAR tweets, and I know that things are somewhat okay. They're they're very comforting, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's racing as, you know, it, it feels weird that like all like the other sports are, you know, talking about whether football is even going to happen this year and the NBA and the NHL are having their bubbles and baseball is having their, their major issues of all sorts with their season. And all the racing that I watch is just, you know, just going as normal because you don't really need fans to watch a motorsports race like I, uh, just woke up early this morning to watch the F1 race in the UK, which was a lot of fun. And then I'm, as soon as I'm done here and as soon as I do some grocery shopping, I'm going to be uh, watching NASCAR. So for me, it's uh, I guess it's in terms of sports, it's a bit more normal than most people, I'd say. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, being in a car by yourself, you don't have to worry about contact with other drivers all that much or being in a big huddle with your teammates. So um, it, it does have those advantages for sure. And, and you don't need to worry about crowd noise. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's good to have you back on the show here, of course. Um, last time you were on was last year for the Chris Jericho episode. Uh, but between then and now, uh, you and I were recently on another podcast here on the VOW network, uh, the five-star match game with Joe Gagne, where we did a 2010s WWE trivia, which to a lot of people, it's probably an insane endeavor because who can remember any of that stuff? Right. Um, well, apparently me, you, and Paul Volsch can. And um, no spoilers if you haven't checked it out yet, but uh, the last question it came down to, uh, your question, Sean, might go down as like one of the craziest last questions in trivia history. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. That was a, uh, a real, uh, just a, a mind-blowing last question in all... And I guess in the weird sense, it was just something to, to me, it was totally out of left field. But when the answer was revealed, it was sort of like, okay, I sort of remember this now. But uh, yeah, what a what a last question. And, and, and I'm kind of I, I, I was kind of annoyed because I feel like I, I could have sent the game into overtime had I answered that correctly. But it is what it is. It was still a lot of fun. So I guess that's the takeaway. It's just, it, it, five-star match games all about having fun yeah it's a lot of fun to listen to and uh, and to play as well definitely definitely well uh anyway let's get to today's episode here and uh indeed we are covering the themes of batista uh batista a big star for wwe for uh, many years during the mid to late 2000s multi-time world champion uh, a main event player and then about uh 10 years ago actually uh he left wwe uh for the uh much 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 greener pastures of Hollywood, where he became an even bigger star. And uh, to start off here, you know, when I was a kid, I started watching when Batista was firmly a heel in Evolution. And um, as I've explained, you know, many times over the course of the podcast, 
with many wrestlers when I was a kid, my opinion towards Batista depended on, you know, whether or not he was a good guy or a bad guy. So at first, naturally, I hated him because he was a bad guy. And then when he left Evolution and became a face, all of a sudden, voila, by magic, I liked him. <laughs> so that, that's the way it went. But, um, but nowadays, you know, even as an adult, I still have a lot of love for Batista. Um, maybe part of it has to do with me liking him in movies or him just being like a cool dude in general. But, um, you know, I think back to my youth and I do have a lot of fond memories of the guy. Uh, hitting those big Batista bombs and spine busters and shaking the ropes, doing the, the thumbs up, thumbs down, the entrance, of course, the music, um, and even some pretty good promos back in the day, uh, especially at the end of that run in, in 09 and 2010. Um, but uh, what about you, Sean? Where does Batista stand in your mind and in your fandom? Yeah, I, I think for yourself and, and myself and anyone who grew up as a kid in, the, uh, in that sort of mid-2000s period, and they were, if they were WWE fans, you know, I think Batista sort of holds a higher place in, in people's minds than, say, someone who started watching wrestling in any of the earlier eras. Um, yeah, because when I, you know, first started watching, he was still part of Evolution. And then really, you know, I guess the first, my, my first full year, like January to December of watching wrestling was when Batista had his big breakout, you know, when he won the Royal Rumble and won the world championship. And so, yeah, so my I guess middle school, high school years were, you know, sort of was an era of WWE where Batista was, he was one of the guys. It was him and John Cena really, who were the, the top dogs. And uh, yeah, I always, I always enjoyed Batista. Um, I think more so once he sort of broke away from evolution and started doing his own thing as a main event singles guy. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I always liked Batista and that extended sort of to his, um, to his, I guess, return runs, even though, uh, it wasn't under the, I guess the best of circumstances in terms of, you know, things didn't exactly go the way that WWE might've wanted them to go. But, uh, Hey, the return sort of, I guess multiple returns gave us so many great memories like Blue Tasta <laughs> and Give Me What I Want and all sorts of other little memories to finish out his career. But yeah, no, as a whole, again, I would understand if someone who started watching wrestling earlier than us uh, wasn't necessarily a big fan of Batista. But yeah, as people who grew up in that era, you know, Batista holds, a, I guess, a higher place in our fandom. And the thing about Batista, too, is that, and I think most people would agree with this, he doesn't have, like, the Hall of Fame-level match resume. You know, he's got, like, the Undertaker matches, which are great, um, some great Evolution tags, the Mania 30 Triple Threat match, uh, a few other ones, too. But I think for the most part, his output in the ring was, it was okay, it was decent. But like a lot of big-time wrestlers over the years, that didn't really matter all that much because he had this overwhelming superstar charisma to him you know he had he had this presence that people were just were drawn to and the energy and the explosiveness and a real likability and charm to him as well when he finally had a chance to express it um and the muscles helped too of course the <laughs> muscles helped too but uh but yeah batista he's one of those guys who i don't always want to go back and watch a match of his but i do want to watch him and like yeah. be around him, mm -hmm. which is the sign of a real star, Sean. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it really feels like that once he sort of started to break out on his own, it really I think he got to show more of his personality, um, and 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 I guess just to show that he had sort of not only you know I mean he, again he wasn't you know the best wrestler in the world, but he was you know passable in the ring, especially you know when he was in there with the right guys. And then as time went on, he showed that he had the personality to. Uh, to match his, uh, I guess, his push, I guess you could say. Um, and also, you know, uh, I don't know how this relates to anything, but he had some, I, I always remember him having some of these, like, ridiculous outfits that he would wear sometimes <laughs> in that era. Like, I, I always remember the one where he vacated the world title in 2006, where he came out in this, like, white, this massive, like, white turtleneck shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and it always, it always seems like he had this, uh, a, I guess a, a weird fashion sense about him, but no, yeah, he's again, just someone who as a kid, you know, grow up in middle school and high school. I, I never owned a Batista shirt. Um, 
but I always, you know, saw him as one of the, the, the big stars and always someone who I uh, always followed and enjoyed. And it, it, it's funny. Now I think about it. My, my dad, my dad does not look like Batista, but he would always say that he, when I was a kid, that he looked like Batista that, you know, my dad would say that he himself looked like Batista sort of just to make, not make fun of me, but just to like, just to play around with me a little bit. I, I, I think, I think the only reason why he was saying that is because he had the little, you know, I guess the Batista, one of his trademarks is that little like soul patch on his chin, um, a little bit of facial hair. My dad had that for a little bit. And yeah, it was just something that was funny. He's like, ah, yeah, it's just my dad being weird. Yeah. Just knowing what you look like. I, I don't think I could see your dad being a Batista lookalike. All that no, much. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, um, but yeah, going back to what I said about his presence in star power, Obviously, he carried that over to Hollywood as well. And what's interesting about that is, you know, it wasn't like he left WWE and instantly he's a big movie star. No, he was in like supporting roles at first and like Scorpion King 3 and the third Riddick movie. But, you know, after a few years, the role of Drax came up and he took some acting lessons to prepare for it. And he got the part and he steals Guardians of the Galaxy. He steals that movie. And... That opens the door for him to be in Marvel and, and to be a Bond villain and get to be in like Blade Runner. You know, he's in like one scene in the new Blade Runner movie and he's fantastic in it. He's a really good actor and now he's going to be in Dune. So, you know, good for him for putting in the work and getting these cool roles and having this whole other career outside of wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because when you look back on it, I think the timeline's just a little bit shorter in comparison, but his sort of like, I guess uh, path to being a superstar in Hollywood followed the rock in a way. Cause I, I feel like that once the rock went to Hollywood, he didn't, it felt like he didn't have anything really big until he picked up the role for fast five. And that's when I think really the rock sort of took off and became, you know, the, the, the global name that he is today. And with Batista, you know, the timeline's a little shorter. I think it was only a couple of years after he left that he got the Guardians of the Galaxy role. But yeah, it's sort of the similar idea where he didn't see success instantly, but he uh, he got there eventually, and it was all you know just timing and finding the right role. And you know, so as long as as long as he wants to be involved in Guardians of the Galaxy, it, Guardians of the Galaxy, and as long as they are making those movies, like he's gonna be. He's he's going to be set for a long time. And uh, I guess, I mean, he also, in between Guardians of the Galaxy and his WWE run, you know, when he left and when he started doing the Marvel stuff, he did have that uh, sort of, uh, if I can remember, that the short-lived MMA career. But let's not talk about that. That's a very forgettable part of his, uh, I guess, his last 10 years. So let's get to these themes here. Uh, just to put this out there ahead of time, uh, we will not be covering the two evolution themes, uh, Evolve and Line in the Sand, because those were already covered twice now on the show. First on the Triple H episode, and then again on the Randy Orton episode. Uh, I think it'd be a little overkill to cover them yet again. So uh, go back and check out those episodes if you want to hear our thoughts about those two songs. Now, in an alternate timeline... We might have begun in WCW, because Batista tried out for the power plant in 99, and the head trainer there, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, allegedly told him that he'll never make it in wrestling, and he ran him out of the tryout. Which, you know, in hindsight, not the best move, I don't think. Yeah. But uh, instead, Batista went first to train with Afa of the Wild Samoans at his school, and got his first gimmick there as Khan. Not Tony, just Khan. And then in 2000, uh, Batista signed with WWF and joined their developmental territory, OVW. And there he became Leviathan, the Demon of the Deep, as a member of the Disciples of Sin. A group that would include Kevin Thorne, Tyson Tomko, Devin Storm, Aaron Aguilera, and of course, Sin, who was Stacy Cornett, Jim Cornette's now wife, who we now know likes to engage in... Extramarital activities with Jim's consent, uh, shall we That's say? One way to put it. Uh, one way to put it. <laughs> uh, Leviathan's first theme in OVW is by Godsmack off their self-titled debut album. This is Voodoo. 
I'm not the one who's so far away when I feel the snake bite enter my veins. Never did I wanna be here again, and I don't remember why I came. So the Leviathan gimmick, it's a left turn from what we're used to with Batista. You know, he's not the cool superstar Batista here, or the straight-laced evolution henchman. He's Leviathan. He's a big supernatural monster, the demon of the deep, with eye contacts and fangs and a big chain around his neck. Looking real spooky. A very early 2000s gimmick, for sure. And there's the same divergence with the music as well. You know, we're used to I Walk Alone. We're used to the big... Uh, you know, arena anthem rock song that is full throttle power. Voodoo is relatively much more subdued than that. It's going for like a mystical, dark, tribal atmosphere. Um, I know Sully Erna, the lead singer of Godsmack, if you check out his uh, solo album, Avalon, you can hear a lot of that same sound with that too. Um, here we've got that type of, of tribal percussion and the, the more chanting-like singing. Again, it's a bit of an odd juxtaposition when you think about, like, you know, regular Batista. But if you have Leviathan in mind and early 2000s OBW in mind as well, it fits a lot better, Sean. Yeah, uh, I guess the, the uh, Leviathan gimmicks just, to me, seems like a very, like, first time I ever saw it, you know, it was probably years ago, but, you know, looking back at Leviathan in preparation for this episode, it was so like, oh, this is totally something that I think Jim Cornette would have come up with in OBW around this time. Uh, just felt like a very, um, I guess, something that would have, you know, fit right in with, like, Smoky Mountain or something, which is, you know, you know, that's all Jim Cornette. But uh, as far as the song goes, yeah, I actually, you know, I'm someone who en enjoys Godsmack a lot, even though I haven't haven't gotten a chance to see them live yet, but I've generally enjoyed their music. Um, and yeah, this is a song I actually had never heard before. Not not one of their songs that I heard previously, but actually I did really enjoy it. And I, I do think that the, just sort of the, obviously the name sort of plays into what the Leviathan gimmick is and sort of, I guess, and we'll talk about later the, the video that's sort of associated with it. Um, but no, I, I just the, the sense that I got from it, and maybe this is because of the drum beats that are sort of sort of so, I guess, prevalent throughout the song. It really gave me the sense that oh, there's a as when I think of it as a wrestling theme, it's sort of like oh, there's a you know there's a, a, a monster coming. There's a there's something big and scary, you know, making his way to the ring or wherever he's coming from. Um, just sort of and again, I just I think it's just those those drum beats that really sort of add to that sort of like this this looming presence that oh this this figure this creature this whatever is is coming for you know whoever he's coming for so yeah and i guess as far as and with the song that's sort of the one thing that i guess sticks out to me the most and the lyrics as well they're a different spin too you know this is not like a big inspirational warrior battle cry fitting for the animal batista this is a, a dark and dire song that is actually based on a book and a movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is about Haitian voodoo. Makes sense there. So you've got lyrics like, I'm not the one who's so far away when I feel the snake bite enter my veins. Never did I want to be here again, and I don't remember why I came. There's that recurring theme of confusion, disassociation 
that is associated with like voodoo zombies and stuff. Um, no more meaning to my life. No more reason to stay. Hazing clouds rain on my head. Empty thoughts fill my ears. Find my shade by the moonlight. Why my thoughts aren't so clear. It's not like your typical intimidating, ah, I'm a monster. I'll rip you in half. It's a lot more uh, psychological, I think, and a lot more uh, heady than physical, which for a Hulk like Leviathan, it's a bit strange. But again, he's supposed to be a mystical character, and I guess whoever picked this song just thought, okay, voodoo, gothic spookiness, it's it's very ominous sounding, so I can see their thought process behind this one, Sean. Yeah, and like you said, sort of the lyrics um, different for what we would expect for a Batista song, but they definitely fit with the character. Like when they keep saying the snake bite, you know, just makes me think of the, uh, of the, of the fangs that I guess Batista had for this character. And then just sort of, you know, demons dreaming, breathing in uh, just, you know, again, he's the, the creature or demon from the deep or creature from the deep or, or whatever the Levine character was supposed to be. Uh, no. Yeah. It just fits well with what they were, I guess, going for with him at that time. You uh, mentioned the music video earlier, and um, if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Uh, just look up Leviathan OVW music video, and uh, it, it's pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, in it, uh, Sin is performing uh, some sort of uh, Louisville voodoo ceremony in her living room. <laughs> uh, it's dark, there's candles and skulls and uh, mystical tomes. She's using voodoo dolls and throwing pictures into a fireplace. So clearly this is some sort of ritual. And they cut to some uh, some derelict Kentucky cemetery where Leviathan is sleeping on a gravestone. And then Leviathan wakes and he rises from the grave and he roams around the graveyard and, and he walks through the woods and he's looking all big and scary looking. They splice in footage of Leviathan in OVW destroying dudes left and right like, like the big show. He suplexes the big show. And then Leviathan ends up in the living room with Sin and Sin's shooting off fireballs and Leviathan's posing. And it's definitely very, very goofy and very, very cheap looking as well. But uh, again, it is OVW after all. And uh, and goofiness aside, it is a fitting video to introduce this Leviathan character to the audience, Sean. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely on the goofier side. But again, this is this character sort of really fits in with sort of the stuff that uh, Cornette was known for doing in places like Smoky Mountain and OVW. And I guess it was, it was really watching this video that I sort of got that sense earlier that I mentioned with the sort of the drumbeat and the, and the coming monster that's getting, you know, and, and again, that I think the video really sort of contributed that, I guess that thing I was able to get away from the, the song itself was just that, Oh yeah, this is, I, I, it works in the sense that, you know, it's, it's an entrance song and it's, you know, presenting that, oh, the monster is coming, you know. And I another reason why I like it too, and, and this is sort of not necessarily re- related to Batista, but, you know, I was listening to the beats and what, and just listening to the song. It's sort of, for me, it passed. Um, I don't know if this is something that other people have said before, so I apologize if I'm stealing it. But for me, it, it, it passed, I guess you can call it the barricade test, where um, if I think about this song and I'm listening to the beat, it, it comes, you know, and I'm you know going along with the beat, and it, it definitely comes across as a song that would fit perfectly in a place like Ring of Honor, where you could, like, it's definitely a song where you could, like, smack the barricades to it, like, especially during that, that you know, the drum parts in the beginning. It definitely, uh, if somebody had this song in Ring of Honor, uh, which obviously they didn't, but if somebody did, it definitely would fit perfectly with the, I guess the, uh, the, the settings and the ambiance of Ring of Honor at the time, where you would have people, you know, slapping the barricades, the song, this to a song, and this is definitely a, uh, a song that you could definitely slap a barricade to. So the second Leviathan theme is also by Godsmack. A little double dose of Godsmack here. Uh, apparently, he had this in 2002. This is off of the album Awake. And it's the song, Awake.
This one is definitely more Batista's speed. It's a lot heavier, a lot more impactful than Voodoo is. And certainly, I think, a much more exciting song for a wrestling show uh, than Voodoo is as well. The thing is, I couldn't find like any footage or dates of Leviathan using this song as his music here, but I think, based off an educated guess, that he used this after he left the Disciples of Sin, because he did, I think, leave the group right before he went to WWE, the main roster. And if I'm right about that, him having this song makes a lot of sense, because it's about moving past a bad relationship. And now that you're not with them anymore, you're now awake. Uh, the lyrics, I'm alive for you, I'm awake because of you, I'm alive, I told you, I'm awake, swallowing you alive. So if that was the case, and he did use it in that way, then it, it does work story-wise. But, um, but again, I, I couldn't find any footage or any, like, any detailed recaps of that time in OVW, so I'm going by uh, cage match results, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, that's the way I see this song, Sean. Yeah, and I'm actually glad that you brought that up because um, when I was listening to the song and sort of looking over at the lyrics, uh, the thing that came to mind is that cause I, I, I had no idea whether Leviathan had broken away from this group. Cause I didn't, I, I obviously did not do the extensive cage match research, but uh, yeah, my, my initial thought was yeah, if this was for, if he used this when he was still with this group, this uh, Disciples of Sin, then it, it wouldn't have made as much sense for him as a heel. And then I, I thought, well, it, make, it would make more sense if it was for, you know, a version of him where he sort of broke away and sort of became his own. And, the, the you know, the lyrics about, you know, taping, taking a step back so I could breathe, you know, that, that fits perfectly with, I guess, apparently what happened based on the cage match results of him breaking away from that stable. Um, so, yeah, no, this is... For a character who was a who was a bad guy, who was a heel, or so, who, who uh, sort of broke away and did, I guess broke away from a heel stable, this song works. Though I guess personally, um, I guess out of his two OVW songs, I prefer honestly the uh, Voodoo. Uh, and like like you said, we don't really have any sort of video evidence of him using this song at any point, but. Yeah, I, I guess for the Leviathan character, I still think that Voodoo is the better song. Even though I, I do like this song, this Awake song, um, and obviously I still like Godsmack, of course. Um, out of the four, out of the four rock songs that Batista had, I definitely think this is uh, towards the bottom. Even though I still just generally I like the song, uh, but out, out of out of those four, it and the ones we'll get to later, it's, I guess, would be the, the fourth one for me. Well, Voodoo is certainly a song that would stand out more, I think, especially yeah. when you consider the time period, too. You know, as evidenced on this podcast many a time over the years, um, how many 2000s indie wrestlers came out to aggressive, jacked-up new metal. Um, I mean, the Disciples of Sin, their stable theme was Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. So there you go. So, um, Awake, yeah, it's not exactly going against the grain, as much as uh, Voodoo does. Yeah, and, 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 and to this day, and to this day, like, and I don't know if this is indicative of just my style or my taste in music, but that's like sort of like uh, the kind of music that I still like enjoy the most, like stuff from that, you know, either songs from the 2000s, like new metal rock songs like that, like, like your, I guess your Avenged Sevenfolds, your Breaking Benjamins, your Godsmacks, your Salivas, as we'll get to later. Uh, either like songs by them from that period or songs by them later. That's sort of like my general, uh, my sort of my favorite tastes of music, I guess. Um, but even like Awake is, I guess, a song that even though I, I like, it doesn't really stand out as a theme as much as Voodoo does for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just, again, just, I guess for Leviathan, Voodoo worked out a little better, I think. Well, looking ahead, this does actually kind of foreshadow his eventual face run after leaving Evolution and going solo and, and becoming his own man. And that would, of course, be expounded upon later with uh, I Walk Alone, which we'll get to shortly. So a bit of foreshadowing there, I think. But um, but yeah, that was our Godsmack part of the show, uh, the Godsmack corner, if you will. Um, I guess like you, I like a little bit of Godsmack, but with that kind of stuff, I probably prefer like Disturbed. 
or Avenged Sevenfold, or like uh, System of a Down. But um, at the same time, you know, Godsmack are from Massachusetts. So I do have to give them a little bit of love as the home state guys. So Yeah, and, and another one I mentioned, Breaking Benjamin. I mean, they're from, they're, they're, the original band is from my hometown. So <laughs> right, right. always got to give them that support. All right, so Leviathan gets called up to WWE in May 2002. Uh, Big Dave on the main roster here now, and no longer Leviathan. Now he's Deacon Batista, the right-hand man of good old Reverend Devon on SmackDown. He still had the chain with him, but now he's got a dress shirt, a nice vest, and of course, the collection box. And Deacon Batista's theme was actually Reverend Devon's theme. This is by Jim Johnston, featuring Mady Miles on vocals, off of WWE Anthology Now. This is Eyes of Righteousness. Please call my name to say um and i say this with zero irony behind this i legit love this song so much uh the reverend devon deacon batista gimmick that, that's whatever i can take him or leave him but this song is just it's awesome um and lord knows look i'm not black i'm not baptist i'm not christian but i think even i can say that jim johnston absolutely nailed the black baptist church choir aesthetic with the light funky guitar the piano, the organ, the tambourine, the simple beat you can clap along to, boom, cha, boom, cha. The religious lyrics, obviously, but especially the vocals, because Mady Miles sings her ass off here, and she is fantastic on this song. She puts everything she has into it, and it just puts it over the top. So I give this one two big thumbs up, Sean. Oh, yeah, like, as, as a song... Uh... It, 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 it's a great gospel song and it's and it's funny how that sort of it was they were able to get such a great song out of what essentially is you know it's it's a wrestling theme uh, but it's it's a song that could that is more than capable of, of standing on its own as a, just a great gospel song if that's sort of the style of music that you like to listen to um, yeah no this is this just sort of feels like um, you know we always talk about how Sometimes in WWE, you have these wrestlers who go through these weird gimmicks before they eventually sort of get to their superstardom. And it's a funny, oh, remember when, you know, remember when Steve Austin was the ringmaster? Or remember when The Rock was the, you know, happy-go-lucky babyface that was sort of dressed in this, I guess, tribal garb to sort of, I guess, uh, pay homage to his heritage. And... For Batista, you know, it's the, the creature from the deep, Leviathan, and it's uh, Reverend Devon's Enforcer with the collection box. Um, yeah, no, it's, like I said, it's a good song. I really don't have anything really, uh, anything else noteworthy to say about it. It's a very, it's a very fun, very catchy song. And yeah, no, it, it with the, again, with Batista, it just sort of, had, sort of a, just brings to mind like, hey, Remember when Batista was Reverend Devon's uh, enforcer, and uh, the fact that it was a gimmick that only just lasted a couple months—you know—just contributes to that. It's definitely a strange dichotomy between Batista and this theme song, for sure, and, and Batista and the gimmick as well. It, it's odd to see him like that. 
but I think in the context of the Deacon Batista gimmick, the song works well if you think about it where he was before, because you've got lyrics like, Lord, I was a sinner, I was unclean, but I've been to the mountain, and the truth I've seen. Yes, I bear witness, put my faith to the test. Hey, Lord, give me eyes of righteousness. What was Batista doing right before joining the main roster? He was Leviathan. He was this demonic beast in league with the dark forces. But now he's Deacon Batista. Now he's seen the light. He's come to Jesus. And he's no longer the dark sinner that he used to be. So, yeah, even though it's technically Devon's song, and the gimmick is, you know, very silly to look back on, but um, it, it does actually work as the next chapter in his story. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I just find it, I find it funny, just the idea of thinking, you know, one day, you know, uh, Reverend Devon goes to OVW and sees this this creature of the deep Leviathan and and, and converts him to to Christianity essentially <laughs> and shows him the ways of Jesus Christ and God and everything. So, uh, no, yeah, yeah. For, for in that sense, it it does work for him as well. Absolutely. And the shift in the music works too. You know, going from the aggressive, dark, gloomy metal music with Godsmack to this, you know, upbeat, lighter, soulful gospel music. That works, too, in, in showing Batista's his journey from darkness to light. Um, none of this is official, by the way. Uh, that's my English major bullshit uh, pulling its strings there. But um, but anyway, I looked up some info on Mady Miles. Uh, she used to be a gospel singer as a teen. And then later on in the 60s and 70s, uh, she became an R&B singer uh, under the name Debbie Taylor. Um, never really had much commercial success. I think she had like one single, made the top 100, but um, never really broke out beyond that all that much. So there is a good chance that this theme is actually the biggest thing she ever did. Uh, so there you go. But um, and, and still alive, by the way, too. Uh, she is uh, 73 years old, so uh, good for her. So uh, Deacon Batista does not last. He splits up with Devon and goes over to Raw and Fall of 02, where he just becomes Batista. And then he hooks up with Ric Flair, and then at the beginning of 03, along comes Triple H and Randy Orton, and Evolution is born, with Batista being the animal, the big enforcer of the group. Now, he gets his first actual quote-unquote Batista theme when he turned on Devon, had a match with him on SmackDown, but this theme carries over to Raw, and will be with Batista until uh, May of 05, so about two and a half years or so. This is by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 3. It's just called Animal. heaviness here back to the metal uh this is actually the first you know proper batista theme uh, not leviathan not deacon batista um but actual no nonsense ass kicker dave batista that we've had for about uh, 18 years or so i guess and i think jim johnston he did a good job here um it's not his best song or the most dynamic in the world but you have the intensity you have that initial evil guitar riff those sustained whiny notes The badass guitar solo, the, the chugga chugga rhythm guitar. It's very much a guitar-centric song, which Jim Johnston is pretty great at doing. So I won't call this his best work ever, but it, it's still good. And it definitely gets the job done in, in telling you, hey, this guy will kick your ass, Sean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the only song in the list that we're talking about that doesn't have 
any you know any lyrics it's just a just a rock tune um and honestly you know i honestly his his later theme that we all know and love uh gets all the attention but honestly i i think this is a good little jam um you know fits perfectly for his role as sort of the the silent enforcer of evolution who's there to back up triple h and randy orton and rick flair and just beat up people for you know whoever triple h wants wants beaten up he'll he takes care of that and no no it just works for what his role was at that time yeah i mean you took the words right out of my mouth uh you know comparing the two i think yeah i walk alone is the better song but again context matters batista and evolution wasn't the focal point of the group and he wasn't as well the super charismatic you know superstar either that became later on Towards the end of that evolution run, where he became more and more of a face, sure, yeah, but like, 02, 03, 04, Batista, he was simply the big hulking enforcer, while Triple H and Flair took the lead. So, him having this, you know, kind of run-of-the-mill, mean guitar instrumental here, it fits the context of his role. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I like I said earlier, it's still, you know, obviously doesn't have the same notoriety, but still, you know... Personally, I still think it's a, it's a decent little song for him, and it's it's funny because when you think of you know when when Batista became a face and became the the top star on Raw and later SmackDown, you obviously think of of the theme song that we'll talk about in a little bit. But it, it's funny to look back and and remember that he had the song for probably a little longer than most people think. Like when he beat Triple H at WrestleMania and won the World Championship, and when he won the Royal Rumble in that first part of 2005, you know, when he's at WrestleMania, the confetti's coming down, the fireworks are going off as he's celebrating his win. Like, this is the song that's playing. It's not I Walk Alone just yet. You know, when he has big WrestleMania moment, they went off the air with, with this song, you know, blasting through the Staples Center. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to, to note that it was around, you know, people, I guess, would think that, you know, as soon as he turned face, he had I Walk Alone when that really wasn't, the case necessarily for those first couple months. Yeah, it's not like with Evil, where he turns on L.I.J., and then the next night, boom, a new song. Um, you're right, he did have this for a few months after that Mania title win, which is interesting to look back on, I think, and, and especially when you compare it to, like, Randy Orton, because when Randy was in Evolution, he had the stable theme as his own theme, and then when he got kicked out of it, like, the very next week, he had Burn In My Light. So... He got this new era theme a lot earlier than Batista did, that's for sure. But um, but yeah, Animal, yeah, it's a fine song. Like I said, it, it gets the job done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the final theme of the episode is the one that Batista has had the longest, and the one that people know him best for having, of course. Uh, starting in late 04, early 05, as you mentioned, Batista started showing more and more of a face side to him. He was still in evolution, mind you, but he was becoming more and more of a good guy, and fans were cheering him more and more as well. He wins the Royal Rumble, and in a famous moment, he turns on Evolution, gives Triple H the thumbs down, powerbombs him through the table, and officially becomes a babyface. He wins the World Heavyweight title at WrestleMania 21, and then a few months later, he gets his new theme song. This is by Jim Johnston and Saliva, off of WWE Reckless Intent. This is I Walk Alone. Counter 
This is the main event, what we've all been waiting for, and um, I don't know if this is just like nostalgia or a reaction to the state of American wrestling music nowadays, but they just don't make themes like this one anymore, do they? I mean, so many themes nowadays is just you know, generic metal guitar riffs or the same synth beats over and over again or, or library songs or whatever, and they just don't feel like they'll make any real impact on the collective consciousness of wrestling fans. This one, though, I think a lot of people remember this one and think of it rather fondly, too, because it's a proper superstar entrance theme. You know, people remember those. And as well, it fits Batista like a glove. Not just because it uses the music from Animal, obviously, but it feels like it's a reflection of him. It's got the big-time energy, the big-time firepower, the opening riff is so recognizable, the vocals are on point, the yeah works so well, the lyrics are on point too. This is undeniably Batista's theme. And I think Jim Johnston and Saliva did a great job in that regard, Sean. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, again, it, it, it just serves, and this is a bit ironic, serves as a great evol- evolution from that animal theme to I Walk Alone. I was going to make that pun, damn it. <laughs> oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew, I'm sorry. It's all right, it's all right. I, I guess we were on the same wavelength there, but uh, no, yeah, it's, it's sort of like, sort of reminds me back to the Rocks themes where sort of each, and obviously, you know, Rocks theme went through many more evolutions, but that idea is still the same there, where it sort of, he had this one theme and it sort of evolved into a a more well-known theme or a better version of the theme later on. Um, Yeah, so in that regard, I thought Jim Johnston did a great job in just sort of taking that theme to the next step, to, to, to its next natural evolution as as we said uh and i think saliva does a good job as well you know saliva is another one of those bands from that era that i still very much enjoy i still listen to a lot of their music and no yeah i I think they did just a great job because they get the great yeah at the start and then i think they do edit the song a little bit because i think uh if you just listen to the you know the, the bass song it has a different uh different verse before it goes into the verse that i think is featured mainly in the song when Batista comes out. Um, but yeah, no, they just do they do a great job performing it. And uh, gosh, I don't think I've ever seen Saliva live, so I don't think I could say I got to see them sing this song in person. Um, but uh, no, yeah, they again, they do a great job and it sort of fits in well with a lot of the music that they did at the time as well. Um, it's a great, real, great, uh, great lyrics as well. Uh, Obviously, I think the one that everyone thinks about is is the pit of danger, um, and it, it's just it's just funny to think about like what what I mean. Maybe you could have an idea. What what do you think when you talk about the pit of danger? Is it just the, the the ring, the battlefield he's going into? Like what, what what do you think about when you think about the pit of danger? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the fact that he's the champion now, he's the guy on his own path. So now he's the target. People will come after him because he walks alone. And the reason why he walks alone is because, according to the song, he's taking a lot of shit from people. I'm sick of all these people tugging out their heads. I never understood a damn thing that they said. From words to actions, never knowing what they're about, I guess I'll have to chew them up and spit them out. And I said, you know, the, that was the story of him and Triple H and Evolution, where Batista, he wins the Rumble, and Triple H is like, oh shit, I'm the world champion. Batista could go after my title. I don't want that. So he tried to trick him and make him think that JBL on SmackDown was going after him. You know, he did the thing where he mocked up JBL's limo and tried to run Batista over. But uh, Batista, he figured it out and he beat up Triple H and left Evolution. So now he walks alone and he walks through this pit of danger. All these, all these challengers are coming after him now and he doesn't have his buddies in Evolution to help him. But it's okay because it's Batista. He's a badass. And he'll destroy anyone in his way. So I think these lyrics do a good job of telling the story of Batista and where he is post-evolution as the top champion. Yeah. And then you go other lines, too, where you're talking about swallowing swallowing down the thousand years of anger, which, again, I I think just more fits with just Batista's, you know, his his style and the energy that he brings. And then the, the weight of the world falling on his shoulders, which is kind of true for where he was at that time, you know the world champion on raw and later SmackDown and sort of the weight of being one of the top stars. And he's, and that's a weight he had to carry when he was on top for however long he was on top for. 
And the song, I think regardless of the lyrics themselves, it reflects this growth of him coming out of the silent enforcer role and becoming his own man, you know, becoming the main eventer. He no longer has this instrumental. Now he has a song with vocals and lyrics, which feels more complete. And now he's cutting promos too and showing off his charisma and personality. And now he feels more complete. So again, the evolution, no pun intended, of the song goes hand in hand with the evolution of the wrestler, which is what's so cool about wrestling themes. You know, you can change them up and mold them to fit the wrestler or the situation. You know, Jeff Hardy in TNA practically had a new theme every year, depending on where he was in his career. Uh, same with Undertaker for many years. Uh, same with Cody and the Smoke and Mirrors themes. There's a bunch of examples out there, you know, and in this case... Jericho too. Jericho, yep, Jericho too, of course. Um, and in this case, going from Animal to I Walk Alone... It tells the story of Batista advancing from henchman-ass kicker to superstar-ass kicker. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it, it it served him well through that run where he was, you know, world champion or just a regular world title contender. And I guess it is sort of interesting that he kept the theme when he had that that heel run late in his uh Late in his original run, where he turned on Rey Mysterio and he was feuding with John Cena for those couple months of 2010, and still, even after that, when he came back in 2014, and then when he came back uh, last year when he feuded with Triple H, you know, we still had "I Walk Alone," and again, that's something sort of like uh, with certain people. I I do enjoy when they, I mean. With some people, it makes sense that when they turn heel or when they turn face or whatever have you, uh, they sort of change the theme or get an entirely new theme. I also like it how, you know, you get some people who I think uh, Naito is an example of this as well, where they have essentially the same theme, you know, regardless of whether they were, in Naito's case, you know, the Stardust genius who was part of the home army or the guy who's leading LIJ. It's the same theme for him for essentially all that time. And you could say the same with Tista, where even though he still had that, uh, even though he had the, the face run for many years, he, he turned heel and then he, the times he came back, he was pretty much a heel through all that, those different runs. He still had, I walk alone and it was still, uh, uh, still a big part of his character and still a big part of the appeal of Batista. And uh, I do want to bring up the entrance as well, which I also love, you know, him coming oh, yeah. out with the, the pyro and the machine gun arms and, but you also you brought up the end of that first run in, in 2010 where he was a heel again. I remember he stopped doing the machine gun arms and pyro, and instead the arena goes dark and there's just a spotlight on him yes. as he walks to the ring, which is cool because, again, the idea of I walk alone, the spotlight is only showing him. So that was a neat way to still incorporate that part of the song into this new entrance and personality. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the the cannon arm is in... As I, and I'm sure I'm sure you would say this too. Anybody who sort of grew up as a kid during that time, or grew up in you know middle school, high school, however old you were, and you were that at that age and watching WWE, I I would be you. I would call you a liar if you said that you did not at least once do the cannon arms <laughs> at, at some point, whether there was fireworks going off for like Fourth of July or whether you're doing it at the pool at maybe your house pool or whatever, like you've, you, you, you've definitely done it at some point. If you like were part of our age group at the time, watching WWE, watching Batista during his run. Yeah, it was that it was the Rob Van Dam arm taunt. And uh, also in the shower trying to do the triple H water spit. Like those are things that like every young wrestling fan has done at least like once in their life. Yep. But, um, oh, one more thing about this song, actually, and this is pretty funny, but uh, down in Mexico, uh, down in the world of Lucha Libre, uh, in typical Lucha fashion, uh, this song is used by a wrestler in AAA, uh, Villano 3 Jr. He has this song as his theme because it's Mexico. Fuck copyright laws. <laughs> That's the way it goes down there. You know, it, it's like Roosh coming out to uh, Chris Benoit's theme, whatever, for a time. So this may be Batista's theme everywhere else, but uh, down in Mexico way, this song belongs to Viano Three Junior. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. That's uh, I guess a little uh, weird um, asterisk to it. I guess just sort of certainly doesn't seem like the sort of theme that would fit a uh, fit a luchador. Um, but actually, just thinking more about 
I walk alone. I, I don't know if you were going to bring this up, but I know, and, and I'm not sure if this has ever been released anywhere, but I know they did. I think it was for, I, I'm guessing it was for some sort of documentary. I'm sure you would know more than I do. Uh, they did some, some acoustic version that I figured it was only on that documentary. I have no idea if that was actually like released anywhere, but from the clips, I remember hearing of it. It's, it's a nice little, uh, it's a nice little tune, even though obviously you know, he never used it as an entrance theme. I looked it up. It was actually put out on the first Uncaged album a few years ago. Oh, ah, so. yes. Actually, now that I think about it, I probably have that on my, on my iTunes somewhere. Um, and I guess uh, one more thing, and I always, I've always found this one very funny. I found this a long time ago, and I have no idea if you know what I'm, gonna, what I'm about to mention here. Um, and maybe if you want to, later when you're editing, you splice this in, but... Uh, I remember, I think it was researching, I was doing a book report on Batista's uh, autobiography that he came out with around like 2007 or so. It was for a middle school English class thing. And I remember I remember coming across this hilarious, I don't know if it was hilarious because it was bad or just hilarious because it was because of what it was. But if you just go on YouTube and look up Batista Beatbox, there is a very funny rendition of I Walk Alone that's sort of just like a beatbox song <laughs> that somebody just did. It's again, I don't know if it's funny because it's bad or if it's funny because it's, it's Batista's theme, but it's beatbox. But if you ever have the chance to go on YouTube and look that up, it's just, just, just search Batista beatbox. It should be the first thing that comes up. It's a, it's a very funny rendition of Batista's theme. I'll put it in right here. How about that? <laughs> Thank you. It's, 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 again, it's, I just find it hilarious every time I listen to it. I'll, I'll go, you know, a little while without listening to it. Then I'll, no, just randomly just search it again. It's like, oh, this is, this is funny. All right. Well, those were the themes of Batista. Um, a very short list, mind you, because, uh, Dave used I Walk Alone Forever and he never went to any other promotions. He's always been a WWE guy. So, uh, only a handful of themes for him in his career. But um, but yeah, Dave Batista. You know, I think looking back, he didn't have a perfect run by any stretch. You know, he had some injuries that kept him out for long periods of time. There was the whole Bautista thing when he came back in 2014. That was a big mess. But uh, uh, you, you Bautista know. and and Bluetista. All right. Yes. Yes. And um, and I think there was uh, Skinny Jeans Batista too yes. in that uh, in that time period. But uh, but you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, he had a pretty good run. You know, he started off with a pretty hokey gimmick as Leviathan, but from there he rose up the ranks and became a multi-time world champion, main evented WrestleManias, and I think in general left a very positive impression in a lot of fans' minds. Um, and now he's out of wrestling and he gets to be in huge movies and have a, a good career there too. So I think, you know, all things considered, he did very well for himself, uh, did Dave Batista. So uh, good on him. Good on him. But um, what about you, Sean? Any final thoughts on Batista? I guess the one thing that really sticks out, and again, maybe this is just because he had been, he had gotten, you know, into into a relationship with Triple H as far as, you know, connecting with someone who was going to protect him. But I, I, I find it, it's very noteworthy that throughout that whole early to mid-2000s period when Triple H had the reign of, reign of terror on, you know, on Raw and like seemingly in world title matches on every pay-per-view, um, it's interesting that in that feud with Batista, and obviously, you know, he got his he got his win back, quote unquote, at WrestleMania last year. Um, but I always found it interesting that, you know, he was the one guy with Batista and with Triple H that that was the one feud where Triple H pretty much 
definitive definitively like put that guy over where he you know he lost at WrestleMania, he lost the world title, he lost the rematch at Backlash, and then a couple months later he lost again in Hell in a Cell. So throughout that whole, you know, again, the period of oh Triple H, you know, he's he's burying people as a world champion and he's he's holding people down and or whether that perception is real or not, whatever you want to say about it. Um that Batista feud was the one instance, I think, throughout that whole period where Triple H like definitively put someone over. And I don't think you could really it's very hard to find other instances in, instances like that if they're even out there from that period. But and I, I guess that just goes more to show that they really believed in Batista as a star. And, you know, he very much was a star throughout that period, you know, once he became a face and became the world champion. And obviously years later, he went on to become an even bigger star in Hollywood. So I guess that's, that's just an interesting little uh, little note, just that he, you know, was one of the few guys who during that period actually got one over on Triple H and like beat him decisively. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you, Sean, for being here. This was so much fun. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely, always love to make a uh, always love to make my yearly appearance on Music of the Mat. <laughs> uh, any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at sacdor twenty nine ninety four. Uh, whereas we mentioned earlier, you can find my NASCAR tweets or wrestling or whatever you want to follow me for. Um. Uh, I obviously do work at Voices of Wrestling, um, doing various columns. No, not well, not really columns, more just mainly just reviews of shows, whether it be New Japan or well, I would say Ring of Honor, but they're not running right now because of COVID. Um, the occasional WWE, I'll, I'll hop on a pay per view review if they need someone. Um, and I guess, I guess I'll plug also. I sort of. So I sort of have a Twitch account. I say sort of because I really don't. I, I've been streaming my gameplay from the F1 2020 game on there recently, but I more so uh, what I've ended up doing is I just record it on Twitch where I you know, just record myself playing the game, talk about what I'm doing, and then I upload it to YouTube. So I, I would say more just go to, you, go to my YouTube page. I, I think it's just under my name. You can just search my name and find it. Um, if you want to just watch me play F1 2020, you can do that. And then I guess on, I guess for the other thing on Twitch, I'm, I'm thinking of starting back up my EWR game that I haven't played in, in a couple months of my, uh, my WCW game. And I, I still have to figure out sort of how to sort of get it to work where I can play it on Twitch and how everything works. I think I have the right software for it, but I just gotta, you know, work out the kinks and see if it works. Um, but yeah, just just more so want to get that finished because I I want to play I want to play um, TWE at some point, but I want to finish my EWR game first. So uh, yeah, you can look forward to that too. All right, cool. And uh, music of the mat is of course part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Check out all the great podcasts on there at voicesofwrestling.com. Uh, speaking of which, actually, uh, listen to my recent appearance on Wrestling Omakase uh, with John Carroll. So check that one out. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to comment about this episode or past episodes, just go to the VOW Discord at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Go over to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, you're awesome. Thanks so much. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Sean, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Yeah, no problem. Always a pleasure. All right, for Sean Cedor, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Met. Take care, guys. Television as a poison on its breath. This counterculture of both wicked lies and death. It makes my eyes bleed every time I turn around. How will they all feel when I bring them to the ground and I say, I've walked.
Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.